This is Heather Fleming, founder and director of InPurpose Educational Services. And this is Delaney Ray, the assistant director of InPurpose Educational Services. And welcome to the Listen, Learn, Love podcast, where comfortable friends engage in sometimes uncomfortable conversations. So put your shame on the shelf. There is no room for shame here. And let's get ready to listen, learn, and love. So Delaney. Yes. Heather. So, you know, yesterday for the audience, if, if you follow, well, we're recording this on the 13th of October. And yesterday there, we went to a grand opening of a restaurant um, called Maji Street Kitchen. Oh, my gosh. If you are in the St. Louis area, please look them up. You deserve Ooh. that party in your mouth. 3324 Lindbergh Boulevard. I will just let you know that. But it is owned by Hina Chopra, who was a chef that that used to donate stuff to my come to the table events when I was still, um, you know, we were still able to do it before the pandemic. So we ordered, Delaney and I have similar palates, apparently. And so we both ordered the same thing, the number two combination, curry chicken and this paneer that was in a sauce. And it was so delicious. Cilantro, I mean, um, uh, basmati rice on the side. But I had already told Delaney about this cilantro chutney that um, Hina does. Okay. And so we ordered both orders. She, Delaney, you ordered a small. I ordered a large. Of Wish I'd ordered a large. <laughs> it was so good. Well, Delaney, guess what I did today? First of all, I spent last night like finding trying to find other food items to dip into the um, cilantro chutney because it's just so good. It is. I mean, you could just drink it with a spoon. You, That's you how could, good this chutney. Yeah, you could. You could. It just, just oh, so good. Well, today, Delaney, mm-hmm. I had a, about you know a little bit of it left, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had run out of things that I could possibly dip in it, like the little bread that they gave, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what I did. What oh, did my goodness. Do? Oh, my goodness. I took a chicken breast and I split it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Slightly seasoned it with salt, pepper, a little bit of onion powder, right? Pan seared it. And then I topped it with. I took that cilantro chutney and I added Parmesan cheese and panko bread crumbs to it, mixed it all together, put it on top of the seared chicken breast, and then put it in the oven to bake for a minute. That first bite, Delaney, a light shone down from heaven (laughs) and said, it's what lets me know that I'm blessed, that God loves me and wants me to be happy, Delaney. That's what it did. It was so delicious. And I just thought I would share that with you. Can I ask you real quick, though? Yes. So you're so blessed that you were given this. Obviously, this was a, uh, this whole recipe, this whole idea was divine. It was inspired by the divine. Yes, it was. It was. So then am I led to believe that you're like, eh, I'm just going to go ahead and tell Delaney about it. She doesn't get to try any because clearly <laughs> no blessings there. 
you would be trying it right now if you got the large. So I just want mm. you to know next time we know, get the large, right? Do you remember when I texted yes. you and I was like, oh, we're supposed to record the podcast, but I, I'm not going to be able to do it because I need to charge my, my computer, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. That was actually code for I'm not home. I went back to the Indian restaurant without <laughs> you. <laughs> it's not, but I wish it was right now. It's so good. Everyone, please go out and support Hina. But and then follow me for more Hina based re- recipes, apparently, because right. I'm telling you what that food was amazing. And I just don't. But here's the other cool part. And this gets into us talking about equity, et cetera, et cetera, is that um, Hina is this beautiful woman, gorgeous accent, and she wove so much of her heritage and culture into what she put together. And so it wasn't just about tasting this delicious food. We were in there and Delaney and um, Killian and I, we were all dancing to the music. It, it was and beautifully um, decorated. Uh, Maji Street Kitchen's uh, logo is, is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just was the, it was so cool being in there and I think the other part that was cool is the variety of people mm-hmm. that came in and ordered you know um, we had this guy standing behind us that I I would never pegged him for like an Indian food but he walked out with a big old bag and then there was two other gentlemen that came in and I was like wow look at all of this you know the 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 two young ladies that were waiting with us just so much variety. It was so awesome. It was so awesome. So please go out support. And in the process, you know, experience. I felt like Hina's food was really, um, and maybe this is just me being sentimental, or maybe it's the cilantro chutney, you know, impacting my heart, mind, and emotions. (laughs) But you could just tell her love for her culture through her food. Yes. Because on top of that, as she was serving us, she's telling us a little bit about the recipe and where it came from and some of the, you know, like history behind it. And it was just so much excitement. Yes, she was very excited to share this food and had no problem at all explaining what went into it or what it was. Absolutely. Nothing, nothing at all. So it was just really amazing. But I think that also leads us to the actual topic that we want to talk about today, because we see a lot of examples of, you know, people that are proud of your heritage, right? Mm -hmm. But what if you come from two different backgrounds, two different um, cultures? Well, that just sounds confusing. Well, confusing, Beige. Um, it is not. It, it's. I, I ran across this awesome quote and I posted on my page and you commented and were like, whoa, I have to sit with this. Yes. Because, of course, you do come from two different cultures and we've Correct. talked about it a lot on this page. And so mm-hmm. this um, person named Yumi Tomsha, 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 
stated, I am not half Japanese and half Lithuanian Jewish. When I'm singing a Japanese folk song, I don't sing with half my voice, but with my whole voice. When I'm taping together my grandparents' Jewish marriage contract, worn by time but still resilient, it's not half of my heart that is moved, but my whole heart. I am complete and I embody layers of identities that belong together. I am made of layers, not fractions. And so Kim um, Katrin, who originally posted the quote, uh, followed up by saying, it's colonization that seeks to break us into pieces. Yeah, and when you posted that, I think I did, I just had a whole moment where I was like, "What? I whoa, like that really, um, that really resonated with me in in a lot, a lot of different ways. Um, shall I tell you about it? <laughs> That's the whole point. I do. I want you to tell me about it um, and, and to really delve into this idea because, you know, one of the things that I think has come through and in and, and all of the discussions that we've had about your identity is the fact that, you know, um, sometimes you felt like trapped between the two. Sometimes you felt, so it's like all of these different complexities to it. And that's why I wanted to make sure that we brought it up because yes, please tell me about it. I want to, I want to learn and understand. Yeah. I loved the concept that she said about at certain times feeling 100% invested in this, 100% invested in that because it's not like I love one parent or identify with one parent over the other. Mm-hmm. I have two amazing parents. I could mm-hmm. not have a better relationship with my parents. You hear me talk about my parents all the time. Yes. I have a great, great relationship with both my parents, with both of my parents' parents. And so, you know, when we do break this down into into like pieces and parts, that to me feels inauthentic. I don't mm. feel authentic if I were to just identify as Hispanic for a lot of reasons. For one, I don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different conversation about whether mm-hmm. that should or shouldn't be the, the measure that we use for somebody's um, ethnicity, if they can, you know, speak a language. There's a lot of reasons right. for people not to speak a language that, you know, originates with their their ethnic identity. But but regardless, that it that is that that's part of it. And I have lived most of my well, all of my life, I've lived in predominantly white areas, just because of where we ended up with my family. Now, my mom's mom did come and stay with us, live with us off and on for about the first eight to 10 years of my life. Then interestingly enough, we moved to the town where my dad's parents lived and I lived with my other grandparents off and on in different Mm -hmm. situations or at least very close to them from when I was 10 on up. And so I had these really close relationships and I've actually had the experience of living with all of my grandparents, my living grandparents, Mm -hmm. that has been wonderful and unique. But one of the things that I do is on my refrigerator right now, as a matter of fact, I have a Mm -hmm. picture of both of my grandmothers sitting together on the couch 
I believe it was my oldest kiddo's maybe second birthday. And mm-hmm. they're just sitting on the couch together eating cake. It's not a great picture, but it's a picture I have of the two of them together. And what I love so much about that picture is that's all of me. You know, mm-hmm. that, that is all of me. Both of these women that have had such a huge, huge impact in my life in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And if you see the picture, it, so many people might think, well, why on earth would these two women don't even look like they should be sitting on a couch together? Right. And I mean that in a way of the way our, our society still is so segregated, self-segregates, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yet that's just me. That's just my family. Um, food is a way that I am so in touch with my mom's heritage and, and, and well, my heritage too, that comes from my mom's side of the family. That has always been something mm-hmm. that was so important to pass down. I cooked with my grandmother all the time. She taught me to make tortillas. You know, she, I can see her hands, the way she would right. almost not need to roll them out. She would just flip the dough back and forth in her hands. And just, I was so mesmerized watching her yeah. and make food when I was a child. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, I really have to give pretty much most of the credit for my Christianity to my father's mom. Mm-hmm. My grandmother on my father's side is the one who really introduced me in such a loving way in, into the church and brought me into what would eventually turn into my own faith journey. Right. This is all of me, right? Like, right. All right. of this is all of me. But so many people want to have these conversations of percentages. Well, what percentage of this? What percentage of that? And that's super awkward. For one, that assumes that everybody has all of the knowledge of all of their ancestors. And not everybody does. I don't. And I don't because I refuse to pay for one of those things. It just doesn't sit right with me to pay somebody to find out where I was stolen from. Well, and in some families, all of that information. They have it because they have records and they have like people sometimes don't understand what a privilege it is to be able to trace your families back to, you know, the 1100s or or whenever, you know, because I I can I could trace my family back um, to, you know, someone's record from slavery from, you know, during the times of slavery, I could trace it back to ownership, but I can't trace it back into Africa um, like that. Right. And, you know, even in my mom's family, there is the story that I've been told multiple times was that there was a church there. And I don't know if it was actually in Taos or if it was in the Pueblo, but there was a church where basically all the records were kept Mm -hmm. that burned down. Oh, And so all the records of everything were lost up until this point in time. Um, And there was a language barrier and cultural barrier. So one of the interesting stories in our family was that Mm -hmm. my my grandmother always had said that her grandfather was actually Pueblo Indian from the Pueblo there in Mm -hmm. in northern New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Now, this is this is interesting. There's always hierarchies, right? There's always hierarchies. So in this area of the country, being Spanish, being, you know, descendant from from Spanish conquistadors uh, that settled in that area, was way higher on the hierarchy than being Native American. Mm -hmm. 
So a lot of times people did not want to be associated with or claim to be Native American. So much of the family said, no, he, he was Spanish. He was not Native American. Mm-hmm. But the story that had been passed down was that he was Native American. He was Pueblo and had been adopted by the Medinas, this Spanish family. Mm. So this was a story that my mom's heard and had a hard time, you know, finding information on. And then, and it's interesting you mention it because of things like Ancestry.com and different family members that have gone into it and looked at it. And then finally, when things like censuses came out, we found him. We did find him on the census. And he absolutely was from the Pueblo, finished his life out living in the Pueblo. But between translation issues and family secrets, he probably wasn't adopted from the Pueblo, mm. he was probably kidnapped or, or taken or stolen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which was just not uncommon um, it was for Native children. And we're hearing all about that now in other terrible stories about what's happened to Native children in many areas. Right. And so how interesting and unique, this is my story. This is where I come from. This is my, you know, that was my grandmother's grandfather. Um mm-hmm. So when then you break it down and go, well, what percentage Native American are you? Well, probably not much. I don't know, right? <laughs> like, right. But what I can tell you is that if you compare the culture of my family there in New Mexico with what you would find then in actually in, into Mexico, the mm-hmm. food is very different. And that is because the food that's eaten in northern New Mexico, there's such a huge influence because of the Pueblo, because of the Native Americans there, that there are certain food items that, you know, I'll be like, okay, yeah, but that's, you know, the Mexican version versus this is the Nuevo Mexicano version. It's, it, it is, it causes differences. Language has been different. Different cultures have changed because of the, ge- you know, the slight mm-hmm. geographical differences and, 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 you know, the influence of the Pueblo there was, was great. So I feel very, you know, I grew up visiting the Pueblo. I didn't, didn't used to have to pay to go in because we had, you know, friends and right. family there, whatever. The last time I went, I had to pay to get in. I was like, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I'm now an outsider. Right. Right. Um, so it is, it's just different to me. It, it just all sits very different, this conversation of layers instead yes. of percentages or like pieces of pie, because it's not like you can carve out or slice out like, here's one piece of pie that's, you know, very Caucasian. Well, that would be the peanut butter pickle and mayonnaise sandwich, right? <laughs> oh, gosh, you reminded me. No. But on the flip side, you know, I also make absolutely amazing, well, amazing to to my tastes and standards, you know, traditional Mexican food. Yeah, you know what? I've learned a lot from you about Mexican um, food and and some of this um, stuff. Like, for instance, chiquewe. You taught me about that. So that's actually more Pueblo. Well, see. Um, mm-hmm. you taught, but you could tell me about that. You taught me about, um, where they take the plebano pepper mm. and they, and just so much that you taught me. I will say that I, I now have you in my phone instead of 
confusing beige. Your my phone is layered beige. That's number one. But then number two, when I saw that snake, I heard that snake <laughs> story. I remember distinctly thinking that's definitely the white layer. <laughs> that just might be the crazy layer. I, you know, okay, I, we weren't going to talk about this today, but here we are. Um, when I first moved out into this house, I was I was pretty petrified of snakes. Not the way a lot of people are, you know, but I certainly wasn't comfortable with them. But I was kind of like you in that every single snake, regardless of what it looked like, size, or even if it was made out of wood or plastic, it didn't matter. It was, it was, um deadly, right? Like it, all, all snakes are deadly. I agree. But living out here where I live, all of a sudden I was like, Hey, I'm going to have more snake run-ins than I would otherwise. And so I ended up joining a couple of Facebook groups where people, you know, identify and discuss snakes. And I did it so that I could learn. Absolutely not. Well, I did it so that I could learn really quickly what was dangerous and what was not. But what happened, what happened was I actually became very comfortable with the idea of snakes because of these groups. Absolutely not. You no, say no. that now. No. <laughs> Delaney, you showed me a picture yesterday of a copperhead that you shooed off of the trail so that it wouldn't get hurt or it wouldn't bite a dog. Right. You got to protect the dogs. We are just not built the same in that way. We're just not. Because that would be my sign that I need to leave that trail forever. <laughs> I just don't understand. Yeah. But, and yeah. I, I don't know what that comes from. Honestly, that really just comes from moving out here. But yeah, you know, having a veterinarian for a father, we just didn't go around killing things unless, you know, need be. But he, we no, also, I don't even want to get close enough to it to kill it. I don't want, no, just no to the snakes in general. Y'all go off into, into nature and guess what? If you mark a territory, you can have that territory, little snake, for forever. I will not bother well, you. Well, no, I stick to the trails. I have no interest in wandering off into nature that's not paved. Let's just be real honest about that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't understand people that like nature. It's just not appropriate. So I guess if you want to get right down to it, I am pretty confusing. <laughs> 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 but not in the in the way that we used to talk about it. You're just confusing me because I don't understand people that, again, will pick up a little baby snake and say, oh, are you all right? Um, girl, put that snake down. That snake is fine. Leave it alone. Oh, Delaney. And then you posted a picture. You know, I warned on our everyone. I, I warned everyone, I believe, in the last <gasps> in the last episode. So, you know what? This that here's your warning, don't miss episodes. If you had listened to them, you knew it was coming. <laughs> so, yeah, but getting back to our topic, I you know, and I think that's something I've seen people struggle with um as we as they've grown up, you know, where they do feel like especially if they're from um if they're considered biracial, or multiracial, that 
you know, it's like they have to pick what they are. And so this just gave me a new perspective into that because I think from the the this factor, okay, I though though both sides of my family are are African American, I'm layered in in certain ways too. It's not and I, you know, from a cultural perspective, but it is from you know, traditions. Um, what what did they pass down? And so it's a lot of different ways that okay, here's here's what I got from my dad's family. Here's what I got from my mom's family, and all of it, you know, it it, it comes together to make up me. And so I think even thinking about this helped me to better understand because you just have a different complexity added to it, but we shouldn't make you say I'm half this and half that. That's not, I'm because you're a whole person. And I think it points to the bigger purpose of diversity, equity, and inclusion training, which is what we need to do is find the situations and get rid of the situations that cause people to feel quote unquote other. Mm hmm because for me, I'm going to feel other if I'm in a group of people who are Hispanic, speaking Spanish, that is their only main exposure and culture. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel really white. Yeah. But if I'm in a group with only white people that have had very little exposure, I'm going to feel really brown. <laughs> right. And so one of my favorite things was a friend of my, not a friend of mine, a friend of my youngest kiddo came over to our house. And this little kiddo said to me so proudly, I'm mixed. And I was so excited. I said, I am too. (laughs) It was just so great that this, what this little kiddo, like just needed to tell me that upon entering my house. And I just could be like, Hey, you know, (laughs) and so I do think that that's, that's where we're trying to head now to add to this whole confusion layers. You know, I have two brothers, Mm -hmm. both of them are very white presenting. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that they're, that they don't, have Hispanic heritage? No. No, no it doesn't. It does not. And and it, it does two things. One, it lets me know we just need to respect who people are, what their experience is, what their family is, and not make assumptions. And That's two, it absolutely shows that racism is a social construct. My brothers and I are the same race. We have the same genetics. Right. But we have been treated differently for different reasons in different situations. Now, my younger brother's a lot younger than I am. We never were in school together, but my older brother and I aren't too far apart in age. So we always went through school together and we had very different experiences Mm -hmm. because we presented as though we were different races. Mm. This is to me proof positive that racism is a social construct. We are not different races yet how we were perceived was different and how we were treated based on that perception was different. Yeah. And I, and I think that that ends up being something like, for instance, I have a friend whose grandson um, looks very much white, but identifies as black. 
And, you know, that's the other thing that, that we have, we work on in equity education. How do we accept people for the identity that they have as opposed to the identity we want them to have? You know, and that includes when it comes to LGBTQ, if, you know, people know who they are. And so it's not up to us to dictate to people, no, this is who I think you're, you are. And that's what I see so many times on um, a lot of these, you know, comments and things like that. It, it, it goes along the way that other people think that they can decide. You don't have the ability to decide. How, let's make this mention since it's already coming up. Halloween costumes. All right. We don't get to decide what's offensive to other people. I saw a post where um, a woman saw a Halloween costume in a thrift store that was a, a Native American woman costume. That's offensive. And then, of course, we had a lot of people going, that is, that is beautiful. Um, that's not offensive. You don't get to decide. Your opinion doesn't matter on this. Now, you do have choices you can make. Your choice is, am I going to honor what they're saying? Or am I going to ignore it and basically state that my, my whiteness or my cultural, <clears throat> my cultural opinion is more important than, than you? My ability to identify you and to dictate to you is more uh, important than your ability to name what you are and to discuss what causes harm. But as far as making the decision about whether or not that's offensive, that's not something we get to do. Right now, there's a huge debate around Dave Chappelle's latest comedy special. And a lot of people are jumping into the debate, but we need to be listening to the people that he was talking about. And if Correct. that caused if that caused harm, then that's the discussion we need to be having. How did it cause harm? Not whether or not we agree that it was harmful. So we just we have a lot of work to do. And that's what equity education is really teaching us. Um, how do we do this work? How do we how do we learn to accept one another and care for one another a lot better? How do we learn to listen? Um, to people and, and and to really take seriously the harm that, that has been caused to them, despite our um, own experience. You know, there's things that I don't I don't understand that I don't know because I didn't experience it. So I don't know what it feels like for you to to feel like you're in between um, two cultures sometimes. And so I, my duty to you, because I love you so much and you know that I do, is to listen and to trust that what you're telling me is the truth. Because to, to take any other take is to basically make the decision that I don't trust you to decide for yourself who you are and who, what your identity is. And that would be wrong. Would yeah, be and wrong. I thank you for that. I do. You know, one of the other things I would say that comes up a lot is this desire to invalidate. Right. Where I've had, you know, people who 
will say, well, I speak more Spanish than you do. I'm sure you do. Kudos to you, right? (laughs) Like, but that doesn't take away my heritage. It doesn't take away the things that have passed down to me through my family. It doesn't take away my experiences, you know? I think you and I talked about this one time. I think that you said this happens within the black community too. If somebody coming in and being like, I went to Florida and I'm almost as dark as you now. <laughs> Girl, that would, used to make me so mad. Would you like the oppression to go along with that? <laughs> like, you know, just this invalidation of trying to, you know, is it, are you trying to take away my experience? Are you trying to say you deserve my experience? Is there, um, what, what's the purpose of that? of this in of this invalidation or exactly sometimes what i have found is in the most recent years honestly i would say this started happening to me really more along the time that um conversations about a certain wall being built mm-hmm. and children who were being separated from mm-hmm. their parents at the border I had very strong feelings and opinions about this. Exactly. And when I would try to engage in conversations with people who up until that point, I thought loved me, respected Mm. me, but they really did not want to engage in these conversations. And one of the most effective ways to shut it down, it seemed like to these people, was to invalidate that aspect of my heritage. Well, you're not really... <laughs> well, you're not even Mexican, so it doesn't matter. Like, so what? What? Here's just one little one incident. There was a, a a news report of a Greyhound bus that had been pulled over, and ICE came on the bus and and was mm-hmm. demanding ID from every person on that bus. I remember they, that. And then they were pulling them off the bus. So Taos does not have an airport. You cannot fly into Taos. If and so when we would return for vacation summers and things we either you have to fly into albuquerque or you have to come in through colorado well we always flew into albuquerque and we would ride the greyhound bus Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. to taos and there was at least once that i did that trip alone with my grandmother who spoke very very broken english and never had a driver's license ever in her whole life so looking back on it now we're going back and looking in the 70s and 80s somebody who broke spoke very little english had no driver's license i don't know what id she would have had on her at the time right what if what if ice had come onto the bus that that day that i had been on the bus with my grandmother and had started questioning her and me and demanding I'm sure I didn't travel with my birth certificate. I didn't look any different as a child, honestly, Heather, from so many of those babies who were being taken from their parents. This feels painful and hurtful, you know? Right. And I tried having this conversation with, with friends and it was so invalidating to be told I didn't get to express my experience (laughs) or my concerns because I wasn't, I didn't count, right? My experience didn't count. I don't live in New Mexico. I was born in Arkansas, if you remember from a previous episode, right? Like Born in Arkansas, yeah. You can say a lot of negative things about being born in Arkansas, but not being a citizen isn't one of them. So, you know, that was, that's one of the times that I would say that it really felt the most hurtful was like, wait a minute. So how do we pick and choose? It's, right. it's all fun and dandy to joke about when it comes to food or holidays, 
But then when I'm trying to explain to you how this is so scary and frightening and why this is so wrong, you invalidate my experience, my, my heritage, my family, because it's uncomfortable. I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of time it really is because it's uncomfortable for um, for them. And that's like what I do. The work that we do, honestly, is is about making sure that people are able to enter the conversation with the tools to where, you know, even if it is uncomfortable, you know how to process it in a way that is productive. And that um, is an essential part that I think is missing from some training that people go through. Um, and so as a result, you know, we, we, we end up with a lot of backlash that we should not have um, when we enter these discussions. We end up with shame and with um, baggage and with guilt. And that's not what the that's not the purpose. That's not what this is about. This is about learning. And as soon as we learn, we're going to do better as a as a community, as, you know, groups, as a country. And it just feels like we have a lot of people that are pushing back against even trying to learn because they just don't want to learn the the they don't want to in, understand the tools available to them to learn. The truth is I, I the truth is hard and it, it is going to be hard work to fix stuff. And then, so there are a lot of people that don't want to fix it because, Hey, it's not impacting them. And it's not, it's not all of one or all of the other. And and some of this goes back to this extremist, mm-hmm. this, you know, extreme side taking, you know, I, right. I think maybe what we need to do is sit down and put together a, a whole separate webinar that's entitled. Yes. And, you know, right. 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 Yeah. I've heard so much feedback about, you know, people that are talking about that particular yes. episode and, and, and so what they com- learned from it. When it comes to the border, yes, we need to know who is entering our country. We need to take certain measures. We, we, it, it is absolutely fair to say that we need to have some kind of structure in place, safety wise for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. and we should all be able to agree that we don't need to lose children and take children from their parents, from their parents. Right. You know, we, we don't need to lock people in abandoned Walmart buildings. Right. We don't need to board a Greyhound bus and start just yanking people off of it. And if they don't have the appropriate um, ID on them right at that moment, take them back over a border where they may have never come from in the first place. Right. Yes. And I'm not saying at any point, well, you know, let's just, you know, free for all. That's the best way to go. But there is a reason we don't hear a whole bunch of crying about the 65,000 illegal Canadians that are living in our country at any moment. Right. So, you know, so we have to be brave enough to 
to think about that issue. And that's what people, some people are fighting against. They don't want to even think about it that way. They want it to be like a something that's understood. My computer keeps like sending me all kinds of lovely little messages. I heard that. I hope it was somebody that is offering us a book deal to multi-millions <laughs> for the listen, learn, love bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have this conversation. It is, you have to be brave enough to engage in these conversations and say, okay, there is a problem. Let's talk about it. No, we can't just take in absolutely every single person from anywhere with no regards to safety or information, whatever, right? But we right. also need to know that, that human dignity and human rights are still absolutely at play. Yep. Do so, I yes, have the answers? I don't. You know, so yeah, before you write that angry, you know, email, Delaney, how would you fix it all? I don't know, but I never said <laughs> I did, right? Like, I never said I have the answer, but I'm pretty sure the answer is not going to be to lose people's children. That's never the answer. That's never the answer. And, I, and you know, that's... <sighs> I think the other part that becomes really frustrating for me, if if I'm going to be honest, is that, you know, where's the compassion? When did we just totally abandon um, kindness in our in our policies? It's not like and I don't want to say that because then that would be a revisionist history because we've always had cruel um, laws. Um, but. We've just gotten to the point where there are people clapping for cruelty. And I, and you know, at, at least in the past, it had to, well, I don't want to say that either. It's just all Part of, of this it is hard. we know more because of the internet. We know more. You're right. A lot of this has always taken place and we didn't know about it and we didn't know how to find out about it. But when you know better, you do better. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and we do need to do better. So, hey, Delaney. Yes, Heather. You want to talk next week? I would love to talk next week. Actually, we'll talk long before that. We may even um, be over at Machi Street Kitchen. <laughs> I would love to talk to you in about 45 minutes <laughs> over a big bowl of chutney. <laughs> All right, sweetheart. Talk to you later. I love you. Love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. You can email us at listenlearnlove at inpurposeea.com. Find us on Facebook at Listen Learn Love Podcast. And please consider supporting us through Patreon at patreon.com backslash listenlearnlove. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at inpurposees or on Twitter at inpurposeea. Hey, we'll see you next week.